0: Hello, and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights, and strategic inputs from around the globe.
1: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Today's Tuesday, the 9th of May. I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Bank Julius Bear, and welcome to our weekly Beyond Markets update. Last week, the S&P 500 index fell four days in a row, then it had a big rebound on Friday. A 1.9% move. And yesterday it rose a little bit too. So that important stock market benchmark, the S&P 500, has continued to hold around the 4,100 to 4,150 level since the beginning of last month. And it's returned, including dividends, 8.5% so far this year, which is quite remarkable considering all the things that have happened not the least of which was the decision by the Federal Reserve last week to raise interest rates for the 10th time since March last year. It's now a full 5 percentage points higher than it was back then, which is a huge change, obviously. The last time the Fed Fund's rate was this high was 16 years ago, in 2007, before the global financial crisis started. But the key was always going to be in the guidance that the Federal Reserve gave us for going forward from here. And that guidance softened, with the removal of a key line, which I'll read to you now. The committee anticipates that some additional policy firming may be appropriate. That line was removed from their statement, and the people who spend a lot of time looking at these things say it's a strong signal that interest rates have peaked. Chairman Jerome Powell said in his press conference that inflation is going to come down not so quickly. Quote unquote, it will take some time, and in that world, if the forecast is broadly right, it would not be appropriate to cut rates. So we could be at 5% for some time. When he was asked about banks, he said, conditions in the sector have broadly improved since early March and the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. Well, those comments caused some acrimony among market commentators who ask if banks are really so sound and resilient when over a trillion dollars in deposits have left them over the last year and the sector's own market capitalization is down by $2 trillion. And we've had three quite hefty bank failures since March alone. The issue, of course, is the regional banks that operate in one state or region rather than across the country or around the world. You might ask, why do Americans bank with regional banks at all? The answer is that they're nicer to their customers. Big banks have a reputation for overcharging, shutting down accounts, putting customers on blacklists. With a regional bank, there's a better chance they know who you are, so you have a more personalized experience you're more likely to get a loan. And with deposits below $250,000 just as federally guaranteed as they are with big banks, why not bank with a regional bank? Now, the share prices of the big banks, like Citi and J.P. Morgan, are actually up about 2%, 2 2.5% so far this year. Regional banks as a group are down 35%. They have a lot of deposits, and that brings us to the core of the issue, which is deposit flight. Because banks currently pay about 0.5% deposit rate, which is ridiculously low compared to money market funds that pay 4%. Banks know if they raise their deposit rate to 4%, they're not going to lose their deposits anymore. The problem is they won't be profitable either. Even if they lose a third of their deposits and then offer 5% for new deposits to replace those, their average deposit rate would still only be 2%. So They're making a decision not to defend their deposit base because it's more profitable to let some of it go. The regional banks that have been most prone to deposit flight are the ones that cater to wealthy people. That's because wealthy people are more likely to know about money market funds than the average person, they're more likely to have deposits above $250,000 that are not federally guaranteed, and they're more likely to be aware of any problems that their bank might be facing. For Silicon Valley Bank, the problem was the big hole in their balance sheet from treasuries purchased when yields were 1.5%. For Signature Bank, it was having a lot of crypto deposits. For First Republic, the most recent domino to fall, it was geographic proximity to Silicon Valley Bank and having a lot of jumbo mortgages in the Bay Area, where residential property prices are down over 20%. Now the market's looking for the next one. Well, Julius Baer financial company analyst Roger Degen has identified six banks with the same kind of structural weaknesses, but they each have balance sheets well below $100 billion. To put that in context, Silicon Valley Bank had $209 billion in assets. First Republic had $229 billion in assets. Roger says the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation raising the insurance limit for business deposits above $250,000 on a targeted basis which is what it recommended to Congress last week, would do the job of calming nerves down, and apparently it has done that because regional bank shares aren't in freefall anymore. Roger also noted that none of the larger regional banks reported first quarter deposits that were down more than 4%, meaning the major outflows really only happened in the week after Silicon Valley Bank collapsed on March 8th, and then they stopped. He sees that handful of weaker banks that he identified ultimately being bought by other banks. One problem with regional banks is that they are bigger lenders to commercial real estate than the larger banks are, and over the weekend, Charlie Munger of Berkshire Hathaway told the Financial Times, quote-unquote, a lot of real estate isn't so good anymore. We have a lot of troubled office buildings, a lot of troubled shopping centers, a lot of troubled other properties. But our view at Julius Baer is that unlike residential real estate, commercial real estate isn't a big enough asset class to create a country-wide recession. On the subject of a recession, Julius bear economists are now in the soft landing slash soft recession camp, meaning we could get a small contraction. But small is the key word that lasts for a couple of quarters. But with Chinese activity helping the world and no major imbalances in the U.S. private sector, unlike during the dot-com boom or the housing crisis, and with unemployment at 3.4% in the United States, its lowest since 1969, well, it's just very hard to get a deep and bad recession in that kind of environment. And so if you add inflation of probably about 3 or 4% onto maybe possibly a small contraction over a couple of quarters, then the S&P's earnings would still be positive for the full year. So we do see share prices higher into the summer, maybe a little correction in the third quarter as market frets about a recession, and then higher into the end of the year. But don't try to trade it that way. Just stay invested, because even if there's no rhyme or reason between the last rate hike of the last 10 rate hike cycles and the performance of the stock market, when we average them, It is interesting. When we look at them on average, the S&P was lower by 0.7% one month after the last rate hike of the last 10 rate hike cycles. And then it was up 0.9% three months out. Six months out, it was up 5.2% on average. 12 months out, it was up a very nice 14.3%. And down in only two of those 10 rate hike cycles ending since 1974. Technically, at 4,138 on the index, the S&P is bouncing nicely off a rising support line in place since mid-March. If it breaks above the 4,200 level, and that's just 1.5% higher than where it is now, a lot of investors who bought puts in the market or shorted it in other ways would probably want to cover those shorts, and that could push it even higher. And they'd want to cover those shorts because above 4,200 would be a breakout from the previous high in early February. This is Mark Matthews signing off for now. I wish you a great week ahead and we'll speak with you again next week. Goodbye.
0: Get ready for the day ahead. Moving Markets is a daily market news briefing from Julia Baer's leading experts. You'll hear all about the latest ups and downs across asset classes, the underlying drivers and our thoughts on where markets are heading. Search for Moving Markets on your favourite podcast player. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Bear, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.